Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's so great to be here. Um, joining me in just a moment, my guest this week will be Kazar Fatimi. Kazar is a press journalist. She is a um, documentary filmmaker, um, and she's a press officer with Amnesty International. And she has an incredible story to share um, about her personal and professional career and journey. I'm very excited and honored to have her with me this week. Um, as always, stay with us during the break where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors, bringing you news and inspiration from their organizations and their industries. Um, I want to mention as well to be sure to follow us on YouTube. We have a new YouTube page there where you can watch the show each week, and it is at W2W Media. So the symbol at W2W Media. Um, you'll find us on YouTube. Um, and for all things Women to Watch, you can visit our website at womentowatch.net, N-E-T. So now I'm very excited and very honored to welcome to the show Kazar Fatimi. It's a privilege to talk to you again. So I'm really excited for this hour together with you. I am as well, Kazar. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it for quite a while. Um, since the day we've met, I've just been so incredibly impressed by you. Um, and I have a lot of questions. <laughs> and I'm going to try to get through it in a very short period of time that we have. Um, but thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. From Sweden, I will point out, you're in Stockholm, Sweden. Yes. Um You've lived many places and visited many places around the world, but currently residing there uh, with your beautiful family, your husband and your two daughters. Uh, we might talk about them a little bit later in the show as well. Um, I wanted to start at the beginning of uh, the time that your family lived in Iran and decided to move to Afghanistan. What happened? Well, uh, my parents, uh, they come from the Kurdish area. Um, they actually left their home before I was born and uh, was fleeing around and left, changed house from house. Uh, they were politically active 
And when I was born, I, they stayed one year, another year in Iran. Um, but as my dad used to say, the deaths were knocking too often at their door. And family and friends asked them to leave. And both my parents had death sentence because of their po- political work and their struggle and their fight for human rights, the right to choose your language, your identity, even as something as your name. Um, so because of that, uh, and because I was born, they uh, left the country when I was two years old. Yeah. And what made them decide to go to Afghanistan? Um, Why there? As a, it's interesting that you're asking the that question because I think it's the most common thing you would do if you leave your house, your home, your culture, your history, everything that you feel it's it makes you safe. When you have to leave it, you choose to go to the nearest place. And we went to the neighboring country because the dream, the hope was to be able to come back home. It was never to end up in Sweden or somewhere else. It was to come back home. So we left to live in Afghanistan, the neighboring country of Iran. But unfortunately, after seven years as refugees in Afghanistan, we had to continue to flee. And it's been 35 years now and we haven't been able to go back to Iran. So it's it was because it was the closest choice the to closest. make back then. Did your, did your parents know anybody there already that had left? Um, they belong to a political party and uh, they send people to different places. Some people went to Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan and a lot of families with small children, especially when with where they were belonging to the political party, Fadai, uh, were sent to Afghanistan. So we didn't know anyone in Afghanistan, but we were a big group who were sent there and lived in the on the same na- in the same neighborhood during those seven years. So you know, when I think of seven year years old as you know as a child, that's I would say that's probably the age where we really start to have very vivid memories. And I wanted to know first. What do you remember about leaving there? Um, I know you took many memories with you. At seven years old, you're leaving what you know for your your entire life to that point to go somewhere else. Um, What do you remember about the day that you actually walked away and left? Uh, I haven't thought about actually that day. That's interesting. Um, I was really sad. Um, I was, I felt safe because I was living with my parents. Um, so that was really important, of course, for the child. But I was sad because I was leaving my rabbit behind. <laughs> uh, and I didn't have, I don't have any siblings. So the rabbit was like my everything. Um, but I also had a really, really close friend named Mari that she was an Afghan. Um, and I had to leave her behind. So as a seven year old, I left with a lot of guilt. Why am I leaving and why is she left in the war? Mm. Yeah. yeah, you talk about that a lot, you know, often the guilt. And first of all, um, to be seven and feel guilt, I think is unusual. And it speaks to the unusual part of your life story, having to do that, really not ch- not wanting to, but your parents were doing making a decision based on their love for you and a life that they wanted to lead. Um, do you still have guilt 
for that or have you been able to let that go? Uh, I think I could say I've learned to handle it, um, shape it somehow. Um, I think the reason I've become a journalist, the reason I work for Amnesty today, that I lecture is my way of giving back. So I haven't let go of the guilt, but I've shaped it so I can handle it. Yeah. In my own yeah. way, yeah. Even though it's it's interesting because even though the choice that your parents made was kind of not kind of it truly was a life or death decision, so there should never be guilt around uh-huh. that. Uh, but it's something like when you have seen the part and you have someone you love and you know that they're left behind, um, and you can't help them, you can't save them. Um, uh, I try to see it not as a bad thing, but more as a human way of thinking and handling situations. But I've been in, the, in both situations when guilt had made me passive. It, it made me not be able to laugh or think or handle something. I, I don't like that type of guilt. Almost made me become a victim in it. Mm. Um, I like the way I've handled guilt through making me become a driven person, wanting to give back, mm. uh, be proud of my parent, what my parents did, uh, not neglect it, not forget it, make make sure my children hear about their story. Mm. Um, so yeah, so it, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when do you recall d- making a decision that you would grow up to be a journalist? and tell the stories that people need to hear? Oh, um, when I was young, a teenager, I think up till I was 23, I decided to not go in my parents' footsteps, both my parents. I mean, they were teachers, but also journalists. My mom worked at the radio station in Afghanistan. My dad worked at the papers. Uh, So both were journalists. And when I grew up, I was like, I'm not going to go in the footsteps. They lost everything they loved. Uh, that's not the way, the road I'm going to choose. Uh, so I started t- to dance, um, choreography, producing, um, performing. That, I was on the top of, I won the championship in Sweden. I could live on it as a profession. And then the change, I mean, what happened was that 9-11 happened and the war in Afghanistan happened. And for the first time, I'm sitting there 23 years old on top of my career as a dancer, watching the TV, seeing the green uh, night images and from the country I grew up in. And I don't recognize it. It's war there, but I don't recognize these images. And all I can think mm-hmm. about is where are the people? And suddenly the memories comes back. What's happening to our neighbor? What's happening to Marie? What's happening to the baker? And I still remember where I was sitting, in what room, what I was watching when I felt like I've seen the war, I've experienced it. I'm not saying that what media was showing was not the truth, but I definitely felt like there is another side of the truth. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I'm in a country where I have the support, the opportunity, and I think I can tell it. So that was when it happened that I changed career and became a journalist. Did you go back to school at that point to, yes. to study journalism? You did. Yeah. Uh, I was in, uh, I mean, my main is culture knowledge. 
but uh, I mean, I, I studied because of my cultural background as my parents from Iran. It wasn't a question about if I should study, but what do you want to study? <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, when I chose to become a journalist or I would say more a storyteller, mm-hmm. I started school again and especially I was interested in film. So I went to broadcast journalism. Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk about, I, I loved seeing the moment. First of all, your film, Where My Heart Beats, is, is your journey back to Afghanistan to just connect with your roots and your beginning. Also look for your best friend, Mari, um, who sadly you were not able to find. Um, I'm, I still hope you can. I, you know, I hope sometime in your life you will connect with her. Um, let me tell you before you continue, I did yeah. find her. You did? I did find her, yes. I mean, when the movie was finished and broadcasted here in Sweden and in Germany and some other countries, uh, uh, I was in Iraq, I remember. I was going to film uh, with the guerrilla fighting ISIS then, I remember. And I, three in the morning, I can't sleep, watch my phone, and I have a message on Facebook. And it says... Hi, Kazar. It's Mari. I heard you're looking for me. Oh, my gosh. So wow. thanks for the movie. And that it was broadcast that her cousin saw the movie, oh, got wow. in touch with her and said, there's a woman looking for you. <laughs> she made a movie about you. <laughs> Thank God for Facebook. <laughs> yeah. So I found her. And where is she? Had She, she lives in the, the Netherlands. In the Netherlands. Okay. Yes. Has a family and we sent pictures to each other and tried to stay in touch. But we haven't met in real life yet. You I'm just happy she survived and got a chance. Yes, yes. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I have to. So, watching the film, my husband and I sat down this past weekend to watch it. And what you did so beautifully, I think, is portray the emotions that you were feeling every moment of every day that you were there exploring all the places you'd been. We could feel that. Mm-hmm. Um, we really could. And I was hoping you would find Mari, so that makes me very happy. But I wanted to to ask you, your mom and dad, when you told them you wanted to do this, they had very varying reactions. Um, so immediately your mom had fear and she just didn't want you to do it. And your dad was so immediately supportive. <laughs> Did that surprise you or is that what you would have expected from them? That was what I would expected. Um, yeah, because my dad is, he is probably more often the calm. He was the calm one, unfortunately passed away a year ago, but he always been the calm one. He's seen the whole picture. My mom's been the emotional one, the active one who she reacts. And I'm very much like her. Um, yeah. And I knew that by then. And I mean, she reacts as a mom does. She wants to protect her baby. And she's like, uh, I don't know if you remember, but she was like, have you forgotten about what war is, what it makes? It makes you not secure anywhere. But I think my dad understands that they brought me up by telling me the stories and everything that happened. They told me about, I mean, the reason that I could feel such love for this country and its people is because of their stories is that they kept the memories alive and i think my dad was thinking about that um, when he when he said yes you should go and i also remember when i turned off the camera she, he also actually said uh, we were talking about the guilt so 
he said, you know what? They took care of us for seven years. This is the least we can do. Your mom and I can't go back, but at least you can go back and tell their stories. So that was also something I believe that made him feel like we should do it. And also the idea that he says that you can't wait for the best time. Um, and I mean, this was many years ago and the situation is worse than ever in Afghanistan. So I'm very yes. happy that I did that trip. Yes. But I remember also asking my, him, why is mom saying no? And he laughs and he says, well, ask her what she did when she was in your age. So, I mean, she joined the gorilla. So, <laughs> Correct. So I'm thinking at 23, we really do feel so much more invincible. Um, and we just feel as though there, you know, there's so much we can do. But you must have been fearful and you had to bring security with you. Is that right? How did you find someone to travel with you? The, the actual... Um, person behind the camera and um, the security person. How did you find them to come do this with you? The trip and the way we think security-wise has changed depending on the time and the trip we made and the area we've been to. But my my security would have was that I look like an Afghan. I knew the language. I knew the culture. Mm -hmm. I could blend in. They knew mm -hmm. I was a foreigner, but I wasn't the foreigner I was still like a neighbor foreigner um, so security wise uh, we decided not to have the whole body guard thing not drive in bulletproof cars like many times my colleagues do to get from A to B um, I've, I had a close friend I was working with the Swedish committee for Afghanistan and I did some programs for them. So they've been working there for 20 years when I went there. So they had the best connections and being with people that I trust who have people who work there was my security, I would say. Um, when you think about your time there um, and there were so, it, it's interesting to me always when you have, you, you see something and you have a very physical visceral reaction just by looking at, for instance, the school that you went to and seeing the children. Um, what did you learn from that experience about kind of revisiting where we once were when we were young and how it's so powerful that, um, you know, a memory can give us that, that physical reaction to it? Oh, sometimes, I mean... Memory is everything for you to be able to get up in the morning, to do something that you feel it's hard, to be passionate about something or motivated. I mean, I think memory is the the pillars, the, the thing you stand on. Um, and I think because it creates emotions. Uh, and when, for me, memories creates emotions, it makes me do something. And the interesting with the movie is that many things that I experienced in the movies for the first time, uh, I la later experienced going back to the school, but I somehow build up a feeling of not being so paralyzed because uh, in the movie, the emotions paralyze me somehow uh, and I feel sorry and I feel guilt. Um, and going back to my school, I think for me was to 
it was important to know that all these 20 years I've been going around with these even bad memories of the war, of the attacks, of losing um, friends and teachers dying. Somehow, going in the corridor, finding the door, sitting on my desk, it, it said that it's all true. This has been your life. You haven't made it up. Your emotions are right. You have the right to have them. Um, but I think also it created the feeling that I got the chance to leave. I got the chance to grow up in a country where I have the freedom to get the education, not being worrying about not having food on the table uh, or having been able to pay for my education. Uh, so I think there was there's a lot of emotions going on in the movie. Um, but most of all, I feel proud because I feel that my memories are true. And that's why I'm here today. Yeah. Um, I wanted to give you a moment. You, when I think about your work overall, not just that trip, but as a journalist, you know, you've, you've covered stories and seen things that many of us have never, ever experienced. Um, and two questions I have for you. I wonder how that has affected your view of humanity in general. When you see um, firsthand some of the atrocities that happen, uh, particularly to women and children, how does that shape your view of humanity in general? Um, particularly as a mother, because I've always been saying to my children, you know, more people are good than they are bad. And I almost feel sometimes if we don't have that belief It'd be very, very difficult to remain positive. Um, so how did that shape your own? And then um, I know that you have a very powerful uh, visual that would give us a look inside what it's like to be um, a journalist and a reporter um, in the Middle East. Um, I often get the question, why do you go to these countries? Do you, do you feel hope? What makes you take these risks and it's the people you meet it's the strength you see in their eyes in a situation where you can't even imagine yourself living and you see someone else doing that that in a proud way and you hear their stories that motivates you and the hospitality of the people in the most poorest situations the hospitality I met, um, that gives me hope. It makes me believe that there are good. I mean, someone who's seen her whole family been slaughtered still have some kind of love for a stranger who comes to her home to mm. share her food with them. Um, so I have to like believe in it because I've seen it. I felt it. But at the same time, I of course, I get angry and upset and frustrated and all of that. Um, but at the end, I leave with memories that want me to go back. Um, I go to these places and every home and every story and every family I meet creates a spot for me that I, where I feel home. Uh, and this is a place I would never have visited if I weren't a journalist or a filmmaker. Um the, the the hope I get that people are good is the relations that I create and the memories, once again, I create. New memories. Uh, I mean, yeah. New memories, yes. I mean, yeah. I'm still somehow, my husband, I was 
turning 40 a month ago and he was like would you like me to buy something for you to wear jewelry or something and I was like you know what the best jewelry I have is uh, this one this uh, it's like a it's a bracelet made of thread or um, garn I would say and I received it uh, from a girl in a refugee camp five years ago and I haven't taken it off since then and somehow like uh, this is the and I remember we weren't even speaking the same language it's something happened in, in that tent um that she's like she just invited me in and she they had some warm tea and the hospitality makes me believe that even when people meet and see and experience horrific things that I can even imagine most people can't even imagine they still have some kindness left in them yes that was so evident that was so evident in your film as well because there were so many times you were meeting people for the first time and they were so open um, and eager to speak to you Um, and not for the attention just for the warmth from their their hearts and in just wanting to share with you it really was remarkable. They want someone to listen. I mean, when there comes someone outside, uh, it's I'm, I've never experienced somebody who doesn't want to talk to you unless they don't feel safe in that room. Yes, yes. Um, but, uh, and another thing I learned during all of my journeys and all the countries and places I've been to is, the, I mean, imagine going somewhere and the family have lost everything they don't even have meat on their table they don't even have food but something they still desire and the parents want for their children is to send them to school when i ask them what do you need what do you want is that to send them to school and in one case it became so clear to me we were filming in syria we were, we were doing a 12 episodes show called Culture at Risk, when we're following people who risk their life to save their culture because it's so connected to their identity and belonging. Um, we were in Palmyra and we heard that they found a mass grave. And as a journalist, I mean, we want to tell the story, what's happened here. And we go to this mass grave and the stench, I mean, something I will never forget, for, remember, uh, forget, forget, I mean. But also I could see stuff that I have at my home, the iPad case, uh, mascara, the bracelets, uh, bags. I mean, of course, uh, we also saw bodies of women and children and everything. But I saw something on the ground that caught my attention. And somehow I could remove all these bad things and I picked it up and I actually have it here with me. I would like to share it with you. And I use it when I lecture because somehow it's something to hear a story, but to have somebody who's been there to tell the story story brings you closer to the reality. But also to have something that you can touch that's from this place. It gets you even closer to reality. So I use this um, as evidence. It's a book, a school book. Um, But when you open it, when you open it, it looks like this. Mm-hmm. You can see evidence from bullet holes. You can still uh, see the sand. Uh, you can see the blood. And it's from this mass grave that I took up. And I remember opening it and I was like, this is a country I don't even speak their language. I don't probably know what it says. 
But let's see, Susan. It says, if I read from it, it says, where do you live? Which hotel have you worked in? Where were you born? What would you like to order? He, she, it, him. It's an English book. I was going to say, is it a young child's English book, learning to... Yeah. And here, you remember what you say in your books. The first thing you do when you get a book, the first page, is to write your name, right? Yes. That's what this girl did. Aya Al-Zahra was her name, 15 years old, was studying to come to get into tourist education. Wow. So she wanted to work with tourists in Palmyra. And what this shows is that when the war started, her parents and her she she wanted still to study. The power of knowledge, the worth of knowledge, it was so important for them. So she took the risk to go to school, even this day. So I'm trying to have that with me when I go to schools, when I get tired, uh, just to remind people the the value of knowing something, the value of knowledge. And I think that also what's passionate in my work is to make sure people understand what's going on, on, to make it as simple as possible, to make them understand and feel and get interested to wanting to know more. Because I think that's when you get involved. That's when you can accept something that's so much different than you are. Yes. So... Yeah. yeah, so this book is uh, a part of my life now. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing that. It's a really incredible, powerful visual um, of, of things that are taking place in the world. And um, it certainly allows us to be more grateful, um, you know, for what we have. We have to go into our first break and uh, we will be back with Kazar Fatimi. Stay tuned for our watch team and we'll be right back. Stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. In the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hi, and welcome back to the show. I'm joined this week by Kazar Fatimi. She is a journalist. Um, she is also a press officer now with Amnesty International, and she's a documentary filmmaker. Um, and we spent the first half of the show um, talking about um, Kazar's journey back to a place that she spent seven years um, and now residing in Sweden, had a strong desire to go back and, and find the people that she once knew. Um, 
I wanted to, to talk now, um, Kazar, about your work with Amnesty International and talk about what you do now day to day and what you're most hopeful for in this new role. Uh, well, when we talked six months ago, I had no idea I would end up here. And today I'm really proud and honored and uh, Somehow I still can't believe it. It's it's a big deal from where I'm from with the, my background, with my family, to be working for Amnesty. Um, what they do for human rights, uh, it's amazing. Uh, and I still don't understand the... I still can't guess, but I, I mean, it's, it's so much. Uh, and to work as a press officer, I'm hoping to be able to use all my 15 years of journalism, working for a network, working in a, a studio, working with directors and producers. Uh, I know what they want. I know what they need. Uh, I know how to package it. Um, so my hope is to become this link um, where I know Amnesty is doing amazing, important reports all over the country where they're fighting for the human rights, to be able to get them out there, get the media to get their attention, um, to get the discussion going, uh, and hopefully be a part of this amazing work and be a part of this change that Amnesty is working for. Um, so my everyday life is to just uh, have the connection with the media world, and especially here in Sweden, and make sure they know about, um, about Amnesty's work. So you're getting to continue to tell stories, really? Yeah, stories actually, yeah. Of, yeah. I will. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for to continue doing too. But I mean, I, I hope I can continue to lecture. That was one of the deals we had that I will still be able to tour around and do uh, some lecturing because I still love that part. And I mean, 15 years of broadcast work and journalist work and storytelling, it's a part of me. And I think I will just find another way to do it. And I can say that my family appreciates this chair much more right now. <laughs> it's a safe position. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and you have, you're a mother, you have two small children, two little girls. And I definitely wanted to ask you as a mother, what are you most fearful for them and their life? You know, we, as, as parents on the show, we talk often about, the social media, your your little girls are too small to to be involved in that right now. But um, when you see the world as it is today, what do you fear the most for them as they get older? Um, as you mentioned, they're really small. I mean, one is three and a half, the other one is two. And right now I'm just hoping that she can find the potty. <laughs> <laughs> But she will eventually. They do. <laughs> but um, I would say my biggest fear is that they don't get the privilege that I had to be interested in the world. Um, I really hope I can make them understand about the value of knowledge, about the value of wanting to ask questions, not being afraid of what's different, uh, wanting to learn. Um, so that's my biggest fear. And I think social media scares me. Of course it does. Um, I don't think in forbidding. I don't believe in that. I think there can come something worse out of it. Um, but 
to create the relationship I had with my parents, to create them with my girls is, I think, the key to trust and have them to be proud of my work as I've been of my parents, but also give them the courage and the belief that they can become what they want to become and do what they want to do. Of course, I would like to have them do something that makes good for others because we have such a privilege living in this country, we have everything and more and have, somehow give back. Um, what I'm also afraid of is that they will lose the culture, the part of the identity. For me, it's been really important coming from an ethnical group that, as I mentioned at the beginning, they don't. my parents didn't even have the right to their own Kurdish names in their papers, their other names, because if they accepted the Kurdish name, they will accept their identity and as an ethnical group, and they wouldn't even do that. So, I mean, my parents fought for a name. Um, and right now I have my name. I can give my girls their Kurdish names. Uh, but so that's also something I'm afraid of. And I'm trying my best to have them to learn Kurdish. And I sing lullaby in our language to at least give them, if not the language, but the melody. And with that, create curiosity and that the world is much bigger and than the center we usually get caught in. Why do you think it's so important for us to to have the knowledge um, of our cultural heritage. How would you describe the importance of that? Because we're on one side, we're always trying to um, understand that as human beings, we are all very similar. And you ha have learned that more than anyone having reported in over 20 countries, I think, which is one of my questions for you is really wanting to know what, What's a commonality you see, even though they're different cultures of people? What stands out to you as something that is always the same? But why is it important for us to know our culture and our heritage? It gives you self-confidence, I think. Uh, that's really important when you feel weak, alone, left out. Uh, that self-confidence can make you rise, make you fight, stand for what you believe in. Um, and that's usually what governments and regimes try to take from you, try to destroy. There is a reason why they silence languages, why they burn music instruments, like, like right now in Afghanistan. Um, because to with all that, knowing about your culture and your identity and your background and your history, it gives you the confidence you need to say no to something when it's wrong. Uh, you feel a belonging. I also think that's really important to feel that you belong to something, to to a history, to a background, to a culture, to a ethical group, or uh, to a rhythm. Um, and with that confidence, I think you also makes you less scared of what's new because you feel safe within you. Yes. So when something around you changes, a new language or other people with other countries, uh, cultures come around or something is different, it doesn't make you shake. It doesn't make you lose your ground because you're safe in your shoes, in your history, in your background. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what I've learned with meeting all these people. And one common thing, no matter where they were, even if there was uh, other people in the Amazons or... Um, I don't know, the president of Afghanistan, Karzai, it didn't matter when I asked, what is the most important thing for you? 
was that that my that my family is safe, mm. and that's what we share in common. But and you do it in different ways. Yeah, family is always the very first thing. Mm-hmm. Always at you know at the very end of our life. That's all that's of concern to us. Um, I I wanted to ask you also about your time at Taps and what you learned from Bonnie Carroll. Oh, Bonnie. Um, I mean, her energy. I never met anyone like her. Uh, She has this energy, this drive, and the way she looks into your eyes, intense, she's really listening to you. It doesn't matter how many people she met in that room. Somehow she gets you and caught you, and she's her positively, she's positive, she makes things happen. Um, Can you tell our viewers about TAPS if they're, they may not be familiar with the organization? Uh, so, yeah, so TAPS is an organization where they help uh, military families. So when you lose someone in war, or what is this, uh, wife, husband, child, uh, uncle, no matter what, you can turn to TAPS to, to get a support. So I would I usually say like when Pentagon is knocking on your door to give you the this horrific news that you lost someone tap is taps is always standing behind them mm. to catch you when you fall. And she started that, correct? Yeah. At losing her husband. Yes, she yes. started that. She so she she knows. Uh she knows and it's not also I mean, what I experienced also with with TAPS is that you have this idea that people die in conflict or in battle. Uh, Life is not like that. Uh, Many lose their family members or best friends in suicide in in much more quiet ways. But also they need the support. They need the other family to get around and keep you up. Uh, So they they do that and they do an amazing job. Um, Kazar, can you talk about what um, is the greatest difficulty for you living in Europe as a Muslim? Um, well, th- this is interesting because I'm not a Muslim, uh, but oh, people. Think- but it's, it's not that. Uh, and but most people think I am, and they do uh, pr- approach me in that matter. Um, I would say that. I mean. Uh, I've heard from people, let's say it this way, the, the religious part hasn't been a struggle for me because I had parents, a family uh, that's been supportive, that's uh, been taking care of me, that's uh, shown me the way. Um, but the society... Um, Many times, to be honest, my name has been a difficulty because I think people have, they're judgmental. And when I call someone or wrote to someone and they hear about, not when I call, but when I write something and they say, see my name, uh, sometimes I don't give a, get an answer. But as soon as I ask my husband, Andreas Morel, it's a Swedish name, as you can get, when he writes the same thing, he gets the answer. Um, so that bothers me. And of course, when I, we were talking about choosing the name for the girls, we were thinking about what should we do? Should we choose the name that means a lot for the family or should we choose the name that makes it life a little bit more simple for them? Um, 
And I, when you apply for a job, when you apply for an apartment, um, you have a strange name when they don't even know if you're he or she. Um, I still hear 30 years later, um, oh, your Swedish is good. I mean, come on. I thought, actually, my apologies, I thought you described yourself as Muslim in, in one of our conversations. So if... Oh, how- no, it could have been because, yes, you're, you're right. My grandpa, I mean, my family, not my mother, not my father, but my grandpa and grandma, we're from a Muslim country, from a Muslim family, yes. Okay. So you're right in that matter, but that hasn't passed on. And uh, in in my when my parents and I, we don't uh, practice the religion now. Okay. Okay. Um, do you have any aspirations to make another film? <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy and I'm glad I didn't know how hard it was. Maybe because the focus the focus was on you. Right. The focus was very much on you. So perhaps a film that is a story of someone else is more yeah. comfortable. Yes. And I mean, I've done shorter versions, but uh, I got caught up in, I think, in a journalist work. And I did the series this half hour episode. So it's like a short films. Um, but I mean, it would be a dream to make another story to find. There are so many stories to need need to be told. There's so many. Yes. It's overwhelming. I I would imagine it's overwhelming, Uh, particularly when the stories you're telling are so important and, and, you know, they're human stories that people have no idea. Yeah, yeah. And and somehow that gives you the motivation. It makes you do that extra it makes you feel like, oh, my God, if they can go through this, I can do this. Yes, yes. Um, but it was kind of alone. Uh, so for sure, next time I'll go into some a big project like that, I will make sure I have a somehow a little bit a bigger team than I had. Oh, yes. uh, and now with two small kids, I have to have that. Um, yeah. But it was, I would love to tell the st- stories again and make movies so Perhaps, perhaps a book. Huh? <laughs> I'm sure people have told you you should make a book or you should write a book, not make they, a book. They have. They yeah. have. And I always say that, you know, I, I, I'm more of a movie, a film, a, a photographer person. Okay. I tell stories. But um, I found writing as my savior last, last year when that passed away. Mm. And that's somehow, I don't know, I couldn't film, I couldn't record, I didn't felt like it, but somehow the writing came to me. And um, so I did start to write. I don't know if it's going to be published, but um, uh, it it saved me somehow. So I have a lot of things, thanks for the writing part. And I think when I started to write and didn't think about what people would think, I just wrote about the emotions, about the the memories, about my parents' background and the struggle and the the, cho- the the way they chose to live their life and where we ended up. It wasn't that hard. Mm. Um, but I am as a person. I wanted I wanted to be as good as it can get, and uh, we'll see. It's it's another baby coming up, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. 
Well, perhaps when your girls get a little bit older, you're not potty training or, <laughs> though, you know, they really need you right now. How's your mom doing? How is she? Oh, my mom. She's, I don't know how she can be everything, everywhere for everyone. Yeah. Um, I love the relationship that you have with her. She's really, and by the way, when she showed up, she joined you in Afghanistan after really not wanting you to go. What a beautiful, you know, act of love that was. Yeah, she did. I mean, I was calling home every day to make sure they know that I was safe. And mom didn't want to talk to me. And dad was the one who gave me the direction to find our old apartment and all that. Yeah. And mom only said like, just, she just made me feel guilty and said that just <laughs> as you, just, you know, I get 10 years older for every day that passes. Oh my that God. Her yeah. way of helping me. But, you know, I got to a point <laughs> in Afghanistan where I was getting to, I felt like I was, the answers I needed for my journey was being, I was giving getting them but there was many other questions that was that were popping up and I talked to mom and mom said like you know what I can't do this without you you can't be there without me so I'm gonna come so she joined me and our relationship got much stronger I think she saw another Kazar not this baby girl she saw a filmmaker a producer a journalist in that country and I remember that day we were sitting outside in the compound we were living and she said that I think I understand you much better now. And we had a wonderful conversation when suddenly she opened up and told yes. me stories about her youth and I bet. how she still wants to go back to her neighborhood, to her old house to dig out all the books that she didn't want to burn and mm. see if they are left there. Maybe that's the next film. Wow, what traveling back with your mom? That yeah. would be that would be amazing. And we, oh yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Well, that we have to um, to end the show, and I've enjoyed the conversation so much. I appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. I'm just so impressed by your work, and we'll continue to follow what you're doing with Amnesty. And thank you for sharing all of these important stories, thank helping to so educate much. people. Thank you you for having me on your show. Stay with us during the break where you'll hear a message from our sponsor, Penn Community Bank, and we'll be right back. From Philadelphia to the Lehigh Valley and everywhere in between. For 150 years, Penn Community Bank has been a part of your neighborhood. Helping businesses start. Supporting families as they grow and staying connected to the people and places that make this region special. It's who we are and where we're from. Penn Community Bank. Here we are, and here we grow. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. That's it for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Stay tuned for my conversation next week with Gabrielle Fitzgerald. Um, Gabrielle is the founder and CEO of Panorama. Thank you also to our sponsors and to Helm Creative for producing the show. 
Have a great week, everyone. We are CHOP. And we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first of its kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center, We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention. Our patients come from every state and 115 countries. These challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP.